Okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to hang up, call me back, and say the exact opposite of everything you just said. Goodbye. Bart, Lisa, come over here. What is it, Uncle Herb? I want you to hear what the guys down at the plant think of your old man. Yellow. Um, Homer Simpson is a brilliant man with lots of well-thought-out practical ideas. He is ensuring the financial security of this company for years to come. Oh, yes. And his personal hygiene is above reproach. Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons to trace the creative evolution of the series and count down, finding the exact moment in which it began its inevitable decline. I'm your host, Eric Antoine, and this week I'm joined by Troy Anderson of AndersonVision.com. We'll be discussing the episode, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which originally aired in the U.S. on February 21st, 1991. In this episode, Grandpa confesses that Homer has a half-brother, which then sends our hero on a quest. That brother turns out to be Herb Powell, a prosperous Detroit car manufacturer. Herb unwisely enlists Homer to design his company's new car, which results in a complete disaster that ultimately bankrupts him. This episode is a classic, as it introduces the frankly underused character of Herb Powell, played indelibly by Danny DeVito. It has a lot of sharp things to say about the car industry in America, American consumerism in general. It has quite a few great gags, including a whopper of an opening with McBain. It's just all around one of the great episodes. Troy and I are about to break it down. So without further ado, here we go. So hey, welcome back, Troy. How you doing? I am doing great. Yeah, well, that's good to good to know. Good to hear. Um, you know, it's it's good to have you back. We're here talking about The Simpsons once again, an episode that I believe you you really like a lot. Oh yeah, uh, from, yeah, and um, well, I do too. I mean, I think it's a it's definitely one of the best episodes. Oh brother, where art thou? The uh, the introduction of Herb Powell, who. It's a great character. It's, it's a shame they didn't use him that much. But uh, yeah, this, this is a really funny episode. Yeah, would you say this is like the first big get for The Simpsons in terms of like a guest star? I mean, is this really? I I mean, I, Albert Brooks doesn't really count. You know, he did a couple of things for them, but he didn't. He wasn't billed at the at the time. He he just kind of did a couple of throwaway things in the first season. Uh, and then so would this be like the first legitimate get for them as a guest star? I'm trying to remember when the Ringo Starr come on. No, Ringo Starr, he shows up later on. He shows up later on in the season. Because George Takei was in the Blowfish episode. Yeah, he's got like a, little, like a little bit part. Oh my. Oh my. Oh my. They, you know, they had a couple of celebrities. I'm not saying he's like the first celebrity. But Danny DeVito, at the time that he did this, was... I think he was still, you know, he was a, a film star. He was a respected... You know, this, this is 1991. Yeah. So, you know... I, I don't know if he would have had a, a big movie coming out around this time. Maybe he did. Other people's money, maybe. I knew he was on the lot at the time because he was getting a Hoffa lined up. This is before, if I'm doing the dates, I'm looking at the dates. So this would be right before he started working on Batman Returns because the makeup on that didn't start to that summer in 91. Right, right. He was more likely there getting on the Fox lot, getting the deal set up to do Hoffa for Christmas 92. 
So I would peg this. Let me see. I like Dane DeVito a lot. I'd put this. Shit. It would probably been other people's money. Yeah. But in any case, this is a, this is a particular period where he was working a lot. Like he was doing. Oh yeah. Like crazy. Like, like you know, because you like you just pointed out. I mean, he had he was lining up Hoffa, which was a big thing that he was directing. I think that came out about a year after this. Yeah. Uh, and it, together with like Batman Returns, which came out around you know. I think the same year he had a huge, it was a huge period for him. So, you know, and and it was a period that would continue from doing rich stuff. But I, I guess to the, to my point was just that like, yeah, they'd had a couple of cameos um, and things like that. But I think this is the first one, at least in terms of the episode airing. I mean, I, you know, in production order, I couldn't tell you, but in terms of the episode airing, because later this season, as you pointed out, like, you know, we've got Ringo Starr, we've got Dustin Hoffman, you know, but uh, but right now, like in, in terms of the order of the episodes airing, this is the first one where it's like you've got this major Hollywood star in a major role. It's not just a cameo. It's like a major important part that's sort of, you know, I guess the, the centerpiece of the episode. It's like all built around him. So yeah. I think it might have been the first really big get for The Simpsons. Yeah, like, Michael Jackson went into the start of next season. That's right. I mean, that obviously that was huge. Um, but yeah, so, so then, I mean, it's, it's just, it seems interesting now to consider it, you know, cause, cause so many celebrities have since been on it and continue to, to be on it where it's kind of become this thing where it's, it's kind of like the equivalent of hosting Saturday night live, essentially. It's like the sort of thing where, yeah, you haven't quote unquote, you haven't made it until you've been on the Simpsons. Right. Um, but at this time when it's still in the second season, that wasn't necessarily the case. It was just this sort of this show that was taken off, this popular show. And so he kind of, I think he's the first one. Even then, what the, what happened there was they were doing the same thing they did with Albert Brooks because Sam Simon was all over Taxi and they were best friends for like a decade. So they were just leaning on, hey, you want to do me a favor and stop by? Right, right. And I and I do know like maybe, and maybe there's there's a production order thing too. Because when Dustin Hoffman did it, he, he didn't use his name. And then famously, when Michael Jackson did it, he didn't use his name. And I believe it was after Michael Jackson did it and didn't use his name that they basically said, look, from now on, if a celebrity comes on, and they've got to use their names. Like, we're done with that fucking shit. If, if, like, you know, anyone we get wants to be on the show, terrific, wonderful, it's wonderful to have them, and they must build, they must appear on, on the credits. Like, enough of that pseudonym horseshit. Well, there's a uh, reason for that. I actually got a Fox mar- marketing person tell me why they did that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, please. Oh, please Fox was getting their ass chewed out by SAG. Same way you're oh. trying to pull. They thought they were trying to undercut rates and like bend the books a little. So they leaned in. All the crowd just came together and they said by the start. I think it was like the start of the midpoint of thir- season three. They're like, yeah, you use your name or you don't come on. Because I figure, look, I mean, as fun as it may be, I doubt that Danny DeVito or Dustin Hoffman or any of these people did it for free. You know what I mean? No. Um, they might have been like, yeah, okay, I'll do it for scale or whatever, you know, because it's a, it's a goof for them. I don't I have no idea what the, it is. You, I mean, usually when an actor uses a pseudonym, it's because it's a non-union thing or whatever, right? So, I mean, that's usually why that happens. Well, right. DeVito also did all of his lines in one take. Yeah, I'd heard something about that. He basically, he did all his lines and... It's not like like with Pixar or whatever. Like it was just he just went into a recording studio on his own, 
right? Yeah. And just did his lines. It wasn't like he was recording with the cast or with Dan Castellanet. Well, he left for some because Nancy Cartwright was in there recording at the same time. I'm I'm trying to remember from because she talks about in her autobiography, mm-hmm. and she was like literally she was there just to help him out and everything, and he was just like bam 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 done see ya. No, the man's a pro. I mean, yeah. I, I think that that doesn't you know the he's a he's an old pro, so that's that's what you get from an old pro. Um, but that is funny, and and he does a terrific job. That's the thing too. I mean, it's a it's a fully formed character. I think. Uh, Obviously, you know, very well-written character. It's a, it's a really funny script. And it's Danny DeVito through and through. Okay, Homer, pick out anyone you want. Yeah, I'd like a big one. We don't have a big one. Why not? Because Americans don't want big cars. Well, then give me one with lots of pep. Sorry, our cars don't have pep. Why not? Uh, because Americans want good mileage, not pep. Homer, <laughs> tell the nice man what country you come from. America. Do you hear that, you morons? This is a really funny episode. We're about halfway through the season at this point, a little more than halfway, and here's where I think you really start to see that uptick in quality, because it's a very funny, very well-written episode, and, you know, I mean, you say that you like it a lot, and I imagine it must be because of that. I mean, it's, it's not just it's not just because of the veto, right? I mean... Oh, it's you're... many things. Like, I'm such an animation nerd that one of my favorite animation directors of all time I think this was probably either. Let me see when it, this is when he started or not. Well, his first episode was Homer's Odyssey, but this is one where he had full control because he did Homer's Odyssey. This Wes Archer, he did Homer's Odyssey, Call of the Simpsons, the first Treehouse of Horror, Bart the Daredevil, and then this one. And uh, so he's one of your favorite directors. Oh yeah. And I, so I only know his name from The Simpsons, to be perfectly honest. Oh, really the, literally, like the last twelve seasons, I'd say. Everything past the Megalomart blowing up and King of the Hill is him. He is one, he almost, you can say, he's just as much part of uh, King of the Hill as Mike Judge. Or Well, the episode is definitely very well directed. You know, it opens with that parody uh, with the McBain um, thing when they're watching, they're watching McBain. And that's really what, that's a really nicely animated sequence as like an action fan, as somebody who like grew up on like, you know, B great action films and all of that, that kind of thing. I can really appreciate that sequence is so well done that it really captures the look and feel of like a Joel Silver, like, like action movie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I mean, he's the same guy who ended up directing all the, you know, Vio Condios for King of the Hill. <laughs> right. And Senior so, Martinez. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so it, ha- it has, it has that feeling. Yeah. And it's funny that like they create this character named McBain. It's obviously Schwarzenegger parody, whatever, but, uh, it's interesting that they were soon forced to like, what was it like not refer to him as McBain because the actual movie McBain came out and you know, the movie with Christopher Walken called yeah. McBain. And so what, and that forced them to sort of like, they couldn't use the name McBain anymore. And I just thought that that was very weird. Like they, first of all, it's a really stupid name for an action movie. And I do remember that. Like, yeah. um, I, I, like I knew, McBain from The Simpsons as the funny character, and then whatever. A few months later, there I am in the in the, in the video store, and I see you know McBain. I'm like, what the fuck? This is our annual fundraising drive, and we would like you to contribute ten million dollars. What does it take to set a country free? McBain. Wes Archer has been part of every major American like show. For about 
almost 30 years now. I mean, he worked on The Simpsons. He pretty much created the King of the Hill style. He was on Bob's Burgers right when they started. He was on Rick and Morty right when they started. Now he's really heading up Disenchantment for Granny. I, I got to say something about Disenchanting. Disenchanted, this, whatever, it's a Netflix. Disenchantment. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I started, this is, when did it come out? Like two years ago? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, it started in 2018. Yeah, I don't know. How many seasons are they in? Right now, I think really. either two just ended or three is about to begin. Ten episodes, then the remaining episodes got picked up. So it's like 20 or 30 episodes. So technically season two is still going. It's just the back half of season two hasn't aired yet. Okay, so they're like airing it in pieces. It's not like a full on. But I, I will say, is it any good? Because I'll tell you, like... It loses me. I'm not that interested in it, but I don't like... I really like Lord of the Rings, like fairy fantasy shit. I just, I don't care for yeah, I mean, it's not really my thing either. I mean, it's, it, there has to be something there that, that is compelling for me to enjoy it. I mean, I tried watching what maybe the first episode. I think I gave it two episodes. I tried watching it with my daughter. Sit down and watch it with my daughter. And like back when it first came out, right? And we just kind of sat there and, and we, I, we were just like, you know what? This kind of sucked. I wasn't laughing. It was, like it just wasn't working, you know, for me. And it's not. it, it went beyond my it not really being my genre because, you know, whatever. But... I can appreciate something if it's well done. You know, I, I enjoy The Princess Bride. I, you know, uh, whatever. I, I, I can appreciate something if it's well done. But but, uh, but in this particular case, it was just sort of like, eh, this is trying too hard. It's just like it's not – it's trying too hard to be, like, edgy. And... Uh, what it strikes me as is he more than likely pitched this to other networks and Fox. They all passed. And then Netflix was like, holy shit, the next show from Matt Groening sold. Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly it. Obviously, Netflix uh, or like any of the streaming services right now, they're hungry for content, right? So yeah. they'll just be like, "Yeah, we we need this." I mean, then and, and then, Matt Groening is still a superstar. You know, whatever people may want to be criticizing about the whole thing, or whether or not The Simpsons is still good or whatever, but uh, he he still his name still carries weight. Yeah, so, I mean, here's the thing about Matt Groening: people want to shit on him. The last thirty-one years of American animation ends and begins with him he's at the point where he's almost a walt disney figure that and that's part of what we're what we look at here when like going back and watching the simpsons and just like okay so in 1991 when this episode aired there really was nothing like this on tv people maybe can't really appreciate that now but we cannot stress that enough this was a very unique thing just the 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 way that it was it there was nothing like this and then all of a sudden, of course, you know, throughout then eventually tons of stuff started coming out, which was clearly taking a page from this and then running with it, sometimes to, to, to good results, sometimes not so good. But I think everything that came throughout the 90s, like adult animation, whether you want to you, you want to start that with like, you know, Beavis and Butthead and then and then you, you trace that through South Park and then, you know, eventually getting a family guy. And it's, I mean, all of that has its genesis right here. I'm, I mean, that's, I think that's unmistakable. Homer, I need your help. You do? Yeah. I want you to help me design a car. A car for all the Homer Simpsons out there. And I want to pay you $200,000 a year. And I want to let you. I've actually been in business classes where this episode gets discussed. It's kind of where my love came from. That and the fact that I live literally five minutes away from one of the largest uh, Ford Auto uh, factories in North America. Gr I've grown up around cars a lot. But the fact of the matter is that 
a car failing is almost a generational thing. Whether it's the Tucker, the DeLorean, the Edsel. But again, like when you look at the time, 1991, we were co- America was coming out of the literal 10 years of getting their ass kicked by the Japanese. Right. I mean, everything was going to those boxy block cars, uh, Nissan, Volvo, Ford Escape, Ford Fusion. Everything was just a safe block of fiberglass and plastic. So, I mean, given the fact of the matter, I think all these like cars and naming launched within either months before this episode or months after. Yeah, people were looking for something different, especially because the entirety of the 1980s in the auto industry, America lost. Japan owned everything. And that's just the way it was. And that's why you had movies like Gung Ho, which sort of looked into that in a very specific way. It was a concern that was happening around this time. And yeah, this looks this looks at that in a certain way, too. You know, it's 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 the American company that's getting killed in the marketplace and all of that like that. That part of it is very authentic. It does ring true. Oh, what, yeah. what, I, what, what I'm trying to remember, though, is or what I'm trying to see if it, is this parodying any specific thing? Because, you know, you, you did, you said it, you know, the DeLorean and all, all these. Yeah, like, it's an amalgam of things. Right. It's an amalgam of things and trying to get a sense of the time. It's very much of its time. Yeah. And even though it references a lot of shit, I won't, I'll go into the references in a bit because there are so many subtle references in this thing that I took notes when I was rewatching it. I'm like, oh, sh- I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that either. Shit. Oh, like, like what? Oh, uh, every time you see a building regarding Herb, those are all Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. Those are real buildings. So they redesigned them. So like uh, one is uh, the Frank Lloyd Wright house in uh, Illinois, which they shot Ferris Bueller at. Uh, That's Herb's house. Uh, The studio where they're designing everything. That's an architecture school in Wisconsin that Wright built. And then the actual uh, Herb's factory is the Johnson Wax, you know, like Johnson, you know, Johnson Wax or whatever. The wax company that owns the Little Caesars. Right, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Their HQ is literally uh, the car factory in the show. So, okay. And what's okay. weird is even for back then, they painstakingly drew those buildings in the background to look exactly like these famous Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. And so obviously, I mean, this is a fictionalized Detroit because these buildings don't exist in Detroit. And obviously, I guess the reference of the... The, the car that they design right before Homer, you know, tears it up and then draws his fucking scribble that they turn into a car. But like what they design is very much a take on like the DeLorean or, I mean, that, that's clearly what they're, what it's alluding to. Yeah. And people forget the DeLorean was in a bomb. The DeLorean actually had a good following. The problem was, is that John DeLorean couldn't stay out of trouble. And then the company went tits up around it. How new was the DeLorean when Back to the Future came out? Uh, four years old. And... Yeah, but it was already by that point hard to find because most people wouldn't carry them and it was hard to sell. The best way I can I describe the DeLorean back then was like what Tesla was three years ago. Right. Too expensive okay. for most people. It had they were in, most of the parts were imported, and you might see one or two on the road, but you're not seeing them daily. The not... DeLoreans for the time were expensive ass cars. I, well, I, I would I would believe that, of course, and they would have to be. And they kind of allude to that here, too, when when you find out that this boutique car, essentially, that they've designed for Homer is going to be prohibitively expensive, prohibit like to produce and obviously to sell. So they're fucked. It's an interesting cautionary tale uh, for for Herb Powell. The, the way the episode is structured 
is interesting. And obviously, you know, this is comedy. You're not supposed to take it. It's obviously, it's not going to portray things completely realistically. I get that. But I'm just saying that I've always found it just a little bit of a stretch that he would allow it to get to, to get to the point where he didn't even see the fucking car himself until the night of the unveiling. You know what I mean? Like, 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 obviously that's not, that would never happen. And also you wonder his company, how, how bad was he already doing that this one fuck up uh, would be enough to essentially destroy his company and, and basically put him on the street. It does stretch credibility. It goes to cartoonish extremes obviously for comic effect, but I always, I, I always found that that the way that's done is very kind of contrived because I was, I was just going like, yeah, but he really like, he deserves it because he's, he's being a fucking dipshit. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to get your brother who you just met who's clearly a moron. You're, you're going to, you're, you're going to get him to like, just take care of everything. And you're not even going to supervise anything. And you're not going to like, like you deserve it, Herb. You deserve what happens to you at the end of this, of this episode. Yeah. Anyways. What does this monstrosity cost? Jerry. What's the sticker price? $82,000! This monstrosity cost $82,000! Yeah, this was the first time really to expand upon the family because you hadn't really gone into uh, Marge's dad or anything. And this is the first time of showing uh, what Abe Simpson had been doing besides, you know, rotting away in the old folks' home. Yeah, well, that's a that's a yeah. that's an interesting point. It's it's one of the first origin things, right? Where you you go a little bit into the backstory. Yeah, I also like how it sets up what carries on for the rest of the show. That uh, Abe's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, you see him through the eyes of the kids for the most part of you know Grandpa, and the fact that there's a reason why his ass got dumped there. Yeah, and they no. try to humanize him like when Bart's a baby in those flashback episodes when like before Lisa's born about how he gave up the money for them to buy the house and then they yeah. dumped them in there. And which I think comes from the fact that the writing team changed and they try to humanize them a bit, but I don't think it works. I think you have to explain Homer away by showing that Abe was crap on a cracker. Yeah, well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about this very thing with, uh, with Natalia that, like, you kind of get an understanding, like Homer is clearly an imperfect person, right? Yeah, and he's he's not the best dad, but you know he's trying. We 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 can we can accept that he's trying, and he's obviously not the best husband, but he's trying. And but and you see where that comes from whenever you look at Abe Simpson, you go like, right? Well, let's be fair. I mean, this guy had a terrible dad, you know, and and his dad essentially raised him. So it's like this is this comes from something, and I think it's interesting that the the show goes there. I mean, they do it with humor. They're not schmaltzy about it, but I, I like that they go there. You're right. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that, you know, Grandpa Simpson, as, as cute a character as he may be, is kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. And then you got to reframe Homer in the way you see him. He purposely hangs around a really disgruntled, messed up people. He drinks constantly. It's not an handicap sort of thing. He drinks because he needs a way to get away from everything. Even his work life. I mean, the whole everything. Everyone thinks the whole "do it for her" is cute. That little sign. Yeah, it's a constant yeah. motivation of what happens if he steps out of line. He, he's lucky to have the job. They show several episodes showing how he got the job and uh, everything he has to do to deal with it. Then he has to wait his kids' livelihood on being able to be there. All the while, 
he literally does the same thing his dad does. He traps Marge at home, and Marge is okay with it, but Marge clearly, in several episodes, makes it clear she had a life. She had plans. She had dreams. Then yep. he knocked her up and took it away from her. Yeah, Abe and Homer are almost the exact same person, but going in different directions. It seems obvious, and I guess it is, but it's like, yeah, her Powell, he he actually, by not being a part of that, he was able to be a prosperous successful person you know like that that's why i like the lisa simpson's line at the end where she goes like his life was an unbridled success until he found out he was a simpson it's it kind of speaks to that too it's kind of like this it's a it's a cursed family so to speak but it's it's not yeah. it's not for nothing you know it's not it's not it's not because they're it's not bad luck it's just there's a history here there's a history of of terrible parenting of terrible relationships of uh, there's like a whole history here there's a reason why the simpsons are not a success you know beyond beyond being this very sort of mediocre family you know and it's something that is very subtle like it's not you know it's integrated it's it's woven organically into the fabric so like you're watching this funny comedy obviously and, and it works brilliantly on that level and that's really the part that matters but then it's when you when you sit back and you start to think about those things, you realize how much more depth there is to it. Because everything everything you're talking about right now about you know Abe Simpson, his character, what this little backstory kind of reveals about him. It all happened while I was courting your mother. I was checking out the skirts at the local carnival when I first saw her. She did things your mother would never do, like have sex for money. I can see that one reason why DeVito didn't come back right away was because, yeah, he would have been very busy around this time. So he just maybe just wouldn't have had the time to come in and do it. But then eventually he would have probably been available. And I guess it just never happened. I guess they just never came up with a good enough script for it or whatever. You know, well, Sam figured. Simon took off. I mean, people forget when Sam Simon, Sam Simon got bought out of the show in the late nineties. And so he was the good friend with, uh, DeVito, so there was really no reason for DeVito to come back. I mean, Al Brooks kept coming back because he's best friends with James L. Brooks, and James L. Brooks, he's going to ride this thing to his grave. It's morbid to say, which is yeah. where Sam Simon's dead now, not James L. Yes. Brooks. Yes, that's true. Well, I mean, it's, and, and, you know, we, we keep on mentioning Sam Simon's name, and I think it's important to point out he doesn't get, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. At for- all. You know, like, I, I think he had a lot, he had a lot more to do with the, essentially the genesis of this show, like what, what we know of, you know, the evolution of it, the, that period of it, he was a lot more influential than I think people realize or people want, you know, want to accept, you know, people will always talk about Matt Groening, they'll talk about James L. Brooks and, you know, they deserve credit. Absolutely. But, but um, Sam Simon is seldom mentioned in the same breath. Yeah. And yeah, they ran, they ran him off the show. Matt Groening. I mean, he's kind of softened about, it, but Matt Groening really ran him off the show. And was there any reason for that? Like, well, like, well, just butting up? heads, just butting heads where Matt Groening was more about the animation and trying to do more cartoon stuff. And Sam Simon was making a legit sitcom. Right. Exactly. He, he was, he was the one who gave it, was trying to do this thing where it's like, yes, this is animated. But, you know, this is ultimately a real show. You know, this is a, a series, a comedy series 
about real people, you know, realistic people and whatever else. A lot of shows we could point to probably have examples of this where it usually goes that way. Because right now I'm reading, um, you know, the, it's, it's uh, Star Trek, the, the 50 year mission. It's this, uh, you know, I'm taking a look at that and it goes into the history of the show and everything. Yeah. And so because it's something written more recently and it has like more candid oral history type stuff. So obviously it acknowledges that Gene Roddenberry might have been a piece of shit. It acknowledges that, but it also points out how many other people were involved, people that you don't really, that don't get the credit that they deserve. I think it always goes that way. You always have this situation where shows are never, it's never one person, you know, it's never one person or two people. It's, it's a collaborative thing. But uh, a lot of times, very influential voices get pushed out. I always wonder why that happens. Well, I mean, Sam Simon caught shit so much. When Brad Bird even says he left the show because Sam Simon left. Yeah. But Sam Simon got him in trouble with Fox because at the end of season one, start about right about this period we're looking at, he's when he brought it goes, uh, Smithers is gay, right? Why don't we even just make him gay? And they were like, what? And then, I mean, Fox ate his ass up like, why are you doing this? You know, it's a cartoon. He's like, gay people exist. Why can't he be gay? He's gay. And that shows you kind of the there's there's a difference because when when the character of Carl, you know, in the early in a few episodes ago, like with uh, in in Simpson and Delilah, you know, you have the secretary that Homer hires, and that character, voiced by Harvey Firestein, an openly gay actor, and that character is clearly gay. And at the time in interviews, you know, they, when they asked Matt Groening, you know, what well, so is 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 that character gay? And his answer was really kind of wishy-washy. It was like, it was, well, he's whatever you want him to be. And I'm like, you know what? Just own up to it. Just say yes, he's gay. Well, Matt Groening hated, hated spelling anything out. Like Matt Groening, like the most famous fight I've heard about this in conventions and otherwise was uh, Treehouse of Horror 1. Matt Groening fought tooth and nail to the point where the animation was being finished on the Raven story. Yeah, he didn't want Matt to do Green, it, right? He thought it was the stupidest thing ever made. And Sam Simon's like, it's going to play well. And they were arguing. James L. Brooks had to settle the fight between the two of them because that's how bad it was getting. It is interesting. Like, I didn't realize that there was that much animosity between them. Like, I didn't realize that it was like that. So, but it took a while, right? Because Sam Simon was on the show for quite a bit, right? I mean, he was a, he was driving all the writing on the show for about the first four seasons. Yeah. And then they started paying him. They gave him twenty, I think, twenty million dollars a season, not to show up. And then by ninety eight, ninety nine, they said, "What number does it take you to just to keep just give you a credit and just not be here?" And right. so he threw out a random number, and Fox said, "Deal." Wow. Well, you know, I mean, he cashed in. Well, also yeah. when he was kicked off the show, he went and created the Drew Carey show. He was working with George Carlin. I mean, he was doing other things. Hell, people forget he was setting up the World Series of Poker as a joke because he was married to, he used to be married to Jennifer Tilly, and Jennifer Tilly got him into gambling. I mean, he huh. was doing all sorts of shit, and he was just collecting Simpsons money. So, I mean, he's going to Howard Stern's show, and they're like, he goes, yeah, I'm the world's richest retiree. I, I get paid to sell my ass. I mean, I, I think it, it speaks for itself. The quality of those first years is unmistakable. And he, you know, he clearly had a guiding hand there, you can tell. I mean, it's just there. According to our records, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Powell adopted your brother and named him Herbert. Herbert! Herbert Powell! Great! Where can I find him? 
I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to release that information. Oh, please, please. This is my life we're talking about here. Well, I, 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 I do sympathize with your situation, Mr. Simpson. After all, your brother could be anywhere. Even Detroit. I know he could be anywhere. That's why I want you to narrow it down. Please. You know, Mr. Simpson, if you ask me, the city of brotherly love isn't Philadelphia. It's Detroit. Well, if you ask me, changing a subject makes you the most worthless, heartless excuse for a human being I ever... Read between the lines, you fool. No. Oh, I get it. Okay. Here's 20 bucks. Now, will you tell me where my brother lives? Detroit. He lives in Detroit. Oh, it was, absolutely. It was a, high, it was a, a very high-rated episode, right? The highest-rated show on Fox that week and the second-highest thing on American TV that week. Yeah, it was huge. And I, I mean, they touted the whole Danny DeVito thing, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was like a big deal. And, and it was the sort of thing where that was a draw. You know, that was a draw for people. Probably people who maybe don't even normally watch the show were like, oh, that, that sounds like that might be fun. Let's watch that. Well, I mean, so, you know why they made the sequel episode in season three, don't you? Because it was so popular, right? No, because fans hated the ending. Well, that makes sense, too. Because, I mean, th- to be, like, even though, like, what I said earlier is that, like, he kind of gets what he deserves for just being, for, like, you know, I mean, what do you expect? You you entrust this to your moron of a brother. What did you expect was going to happen? Um, but at the same time, he's, like, a likable character. So you do, you do feel really bad for him at the end of the episode. So I guess, yeah, making a sequel that sort of, vindicates him sort of brings him back i thought i think yeah I, that, that makes total sense if fans were just like yeah come on that's not nice poor guy it's one of those episodes like i can remember watching on repeat all the time especially before simpsons were in syndication it always seemed like the episode was on i keep feeling myself getting older and older talking about this shit. we are talking about something though that this is 30 years ago i mean this is a long time ago this really is it doesn't feel like it is but it is, and and it still holds up, though. That's the thing. I mean, I, like, you, you watch this episode, and it's still really funny. It's still, and a lot of these episodes, but, like, this one in particular, it's still really funny. It's really clever. A lot of just really well-written comedy. The success of this show has always been that it's a cartoon that the showrunners treated like a live-action show. They... They said it's it's a comedy show, period. It happens to be animated, but we're going to treat this as if it were just any comedy show, you know. And we'll we'll use the animation, obviously, allows us to tell elaborate stories and do things that we could never do in live action on a reasonable budget. So, you know, at least this, we, we can do whatever we want. And that, that's the thing. But it it works because they they never treated it like a cartoon. So, yeah, so this episode holds up. I think, uh, I think we love it. We still like it. We still think it's great. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this, this is a fun talk. I had a fun time talking, talking with you about it. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, CoreySandersVision.com. Uh, we have got so many insane projects lined up. It's just finding the time to finish them all and get everything prepped. I can spoil one. There's a reason why I'm doing more and more podcasts. It's because I'm trying to get used to the construction of them and trying to lay them out perfectly. You've got a podcast coming up, correct? We might as well say it. Yeah, i got yeah. a podcast coming up. Uh, we are interviewing random people. We are doing tons of random stuff. In the past week, I've interviewed Richard Reel and Lou Temple. And pretty soon, I'm interviewing uh, Ray Parker Jr. And uh, and people can access all of this through AndersonVision.com. Yes, AndersonVision.com. Uh, either type it into your favorite browser or just draw a printing gram on the floor and knock three times. 
<laughs> All right, man. I'm going to put links, obviously, as uh, I hope that will be helpful. Get people to uh, check out the site and keep an eye out for your podcast. And that'll be fun, man. It's been great having you on. And Oh, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, pretty soon we'll start getting the seasons I really like. Yeah. And you have a good one. You too. See ya. See ya. So that's it for this week's installment of The Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please give us a like. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, Anchor FM, or pretty much anywhere. Brief review might actually help boost the podcast's profile. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends on social media. Also, please do check out Troy Anderson's website, andersonvision.com, for a lot of great pop culture-related content, including his brand new podcast, which, like the one you're listening to right now, is very, very good, and also pumped out through Anchor FM. I'll be providing helpful links in the episode description. I'm Eric Zantuan, and I'll be back next Thursday evening to talk about Bart's Dog Gets an F, which is centered around Bart and his dog and has a lot of poignant stuff going on in some ways. Feels like a season one episode, but it's a lot of fun just the same. The great Jason Pollock will be sitting down to talk with me about that. And I hope you'll join us. Until then, stay safe out there, continue observing your biosafety and social distancing protocols, because whether your area is opening up or not, we're not all quite through this thing. We need everyone to do their part, keeping themselves and everyone else healthy. And we'll get through this in due time. Thank you for listening. See you next week. The DeLorean. Gullwing doors rise effortlessly, beckoning you in... Shh.